Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Betty, Girl Band the Podcast. This podcast is supported by Tomboy X, designing underwear and swimwear to fit your body and how you see yourself. Use code BETTY for 15% off at tomboyx.com. Also supported by the Apartment Lounge in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Come in and have a drink and tell them Betty sent you. And now, on to Betty, Girl Band. The tale of the band Betty's meteoric rise to the middle. Hi everybody, it's Amy. It's Allie. Elizabeth. And you know, we're the band Betty. And we are not coming to you live from WXRT Radio. (laughs) (laughs) In Chicago. Oh my gosh, it's a great station. We have a wonderful friend there, Terry Hemmert. And she's she's been a DJ there as long as we've been Betty, I think. Yeah. Maybe longer. She knows rock, she knows music. And when we first got to Chicago, that was when we got a chance to meet. See, I was a little Miss Jock when I was a kid. And I think that prepared me for dealing with sexism in radio. I'm sure it did. We met her on the cafeteria. Tour. We started that tour in Chicago, and Michael had arranged for us to stay with a couple of artists. Yes. And for some reason, I flew in first. You guys were flying in after me. so mm-hmm. they. Ca- I was they, working. Right. So they came to pick me up and brought me to the apartment. It was a little surreal. It was an artist's apartment. Uh-huh. It was like right it above. It was insane, you guys. Let's be real. It was right above the rail. Right the, by the L. Right by the L. So every time the L would go by, the whole thing would shake. Yes. It was like a racer head, It was basically. totally dark. Uh-huh. And the only light came from the television set. The mm-hmm. black and white television set. Mm-hmm. Right. And this was... In the 80s. Right. It shouldn't have been a black And um, they had two little kids who would run, one ran around naked and the other one um, wanted to show you his pornography. And he was 10. Yeah. It was uh, challenging. It was a nightmare. And we decided that we didn't want to stay there. So I think I started crying. Yeah, you did. You took me out to the pizza parlor. We we said we're going to go out. You took me out to the pizza parlor because you still wanted to protect me or whatever. But I I couldn't handle it. It was too. I said that night we went to do a fashion show. We were we were modeling some art from this person. There at this bar, I saw a guy, and I just have this great knack for being able to recognize true kindness in people because I saw this guy at the bar, I walked over to him and I said, please buy me a drink because I'm having a miserable time staying at these people's house. And he was like, okay, within (laughs) five minutes, I said, can we come stay with you? And he said, sure. And that is our friend Lenny to this day. Yep. One of Betty's best friends He's is Lenny. He's such a great Chicago guy. Oh he has such a great God. Chicago accent, too. And whenever he flies out to see us wherever we are, he says, oh, God love you guys. You really keep me young. Hello, this is Len Blackman from Chicago. I met the Betty phenomenon for the first time in 1986. I went to a party on Christmas Eve at this big historic building called the Limelight in Chicago. A party was being thrown by this avant-garde artist and they were performing and I knew Bob and he invited me to see this band and I loved them and I went up to them and talked to them about our common friend and you guys were great and they said, you gotta get us out of here. We need a place to stay. And the funny (laughs) thing about Lenny is that when we, every time we would go back to Chicago, we would stay at Lenny's house and poor Lenny, you know, he let us stay there one time. He didn't expect that he was going to be for another whole tour hosting us all the time. But we would always be like, hi, Lenny, ding dong. And that's where we were. Didn't one of you guys hear him talking to his friend yeah. and said, oh, God, goodbye, Betty. Yeah, bye bye, Betty. Yeah. Like, you know, well, I tried. Here. You know, I didn't think they were going to stay this long, but they did. <laughs> and uh, well, what am but I going to do? God, love oh, the people that you meet guy. that you fall in love with, like Lenny. Suffering body has made him 
Right before that tour, we did a one-off where we went to Richmond, and it was one of our first gigs out of DC. And we were playing at this little club. I forgot how we got the, the gig, but it was just the three of us. And I, I had to go out because we were doing electronica stuff, and it was before a lot of people knew about MIDI and all that stuff, and it was pretty complicated. And so I, I went out to do the quote-unquote sound, or at least listen to it and talk to the guys when they were doing it, they were all guys. I went back, and in the little sound booth, I was fiddling around with the reverb. All the presets for the reverb unit, they all had names like Wet Pussy, oh, Lordy. Big Fat Mama, Huge Tits. Oh, geez. And it just struck me at that moment that we were in a really predominantly male, gross No woman's land. World. Well, what if yeah. you find out that it was all women that were writing it? <laughs> it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I remember so many times sound people not even paying attention to you when you came out there to do our sound, which you do very well. You know, you, you do this thing, this podcast. I had to, yeah. Good job, Elizabeth. I, I, I but always, you've always been a technical person, and they've, they've, they, uh, for so long, they wouldn't even give you the time of day. They'd be like, well, I've done this. Go ahead. I've done this a million times. Go, just go back up there and sing. And the stuff that I would have to do and say to them in order for them to listen to me, I would have to say, oh, it sounds so good. Maybe if you, because I had to learn this way yeah. because I was such a bitch. I was like, just turn it up or turn it down. Or turn, mm-hmm. t- t- you know, take three dBs off the bass. They wouldn't listen to me. So I had to learn girl speak. how to girl speak, mm-hmm. and which is like, Oh, it sounds so good, but maybe, maybe you should try bringing the bass up a little oh, bit. Oh, Lordy, aren't you glad those days are behind us? Are they? Are they? Yes, are they? they are. Yes, they are. There are so many competent, fantastic female sound people. We've worked with them, and it's right. wonderful. And dudes, and dudes get it now because sure. there's so many women that have. Been, uh, we still do get that odd occasion. Oh, you are you going to be singing on capella for this benefit, so you don't need mics or monitors, right? <laughs> you know. Well, that's, that's how you know that person is not a professional sound person, right there. That's yeah. How that's the dead giveaway. But, but you, you know, when you were doing all that technical stuff, one of my favorite things, and I know you're going to recall this too, my friend Amy, was that Elizabeth always had to have the newest and latest of all technical things. She still does. So she was the first person with a cell phone. Do you remember that? It was about a foot big, <laughs> and she had to pull out this antenna. <laughs> To make it happen. And when she got her first bill, it was $934. No, no, no. <laughs> it was $1,400. Every single, that. it was like $30 a minute. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you took it on tour. And I you took were so it on proud. tour. I was so proud. And Taking out that big antenna, <laughs> holding with two hands. Oh, my God. The affordable, transportable cellular phone is here. Quality made by General Electric. This cellular phone features 832 channel capacity. 30 number memory speed dialing, last number redial, electronic lock while not in use, adjustable volume control, horn alert option included, AB system allows both home and car use, lighted keypad, take it from car to car, optional battery available for true portable use. I don't know why I bought that cell phone, but I thought it was so cool. You, look, at, look at you with your Apple Watch. You love the latest technology. You can't help it. It's I'm who not, you are. Not as much as I, I used to be, but yeah, you're right. I am. And I remember getting my first sampler. I think it had 3.5 seconds that you could sample. 3.5 seconds. It was ginormous, mm-hmm. and it cost $5,000. Mm-hmm. $5,000. Mm-hmm. It was a Roland S3 
3000 or something and i used to take it through the through the airport that giant I thing i remember my friend with my with my keyboard and that and you could never get away with that now they would never let you go through that's oh, why my back hurts things now. we've schlepped over the years oh, oh, the schlepping the never ends schlepping the never schlepping ends. ends that might have to be the name of our new acoustic album the schlepping never ends <laughs> or three schmoes in a tuba <laughs> i'm older but no wiser i still compromise to satisfy don't know why i did it did it and i don't know why the lesson i've been learning learned so many times before should have quit you sooner still believe in wanting more in the cafeteria tour we were in, that's the first time we really started doing radio yes we did a great show a couple of great shows in chicago the big one was it WGAN or WGN is the big yeah the guy was great and we got our we were very naive we hadn't really talked on the radio before and it was live and it was very fast paced and we could sing acapella what you guys do what you ladies do is it's singing but it's kind of almost like stream of consciousness Thank it's you. performing it's everything thank you for noticing Dre. it's that true really now what now i want you to know you know you're here now and, and we're you know, we're talking on the radio and when you guys make it big that we want to be able to bring out the you know the old basement tapes and say <laughs> betty was here go ahead and split mr amoeba man i can't divide my love once again go, go ahead, ahead and split mr amoeba man now go ahead and split mr amoeba man i can't divide my love once again go ahead and Split, Mr. Amoeba Man. Now, two, four. Uh, uh, love no more. Two, two, four. It was yeah. exciting, though. Uh-uh. It, it was, was so exciting. thrilling. We were our hearts were beating when we came off. Remember uh-huh. afterwards? Uh-huh. But then we were also on um, Danny Bonaducci's show. Danny Bonaducci's show. We were on that guy that smoked cigarettes. Morton Downey. Wow, was he gross? Morton Downey smoked the entire time he was on the air, and then he took us to lunch afterwards and smoked the entire time. God bless him, he died of lung cancer. Gee, I wonder why. Yeah, but still, it was so, I mean, but it was so great, Chicago, this the, the place where radio was so strong, and for us to be in that world, it was thrilling. It felt like we were moving on to another level. The tour was exciting. It was put together really well for mm-hmm. us. So It was a cafeteria tour. Right? But we had a taste of it. So now right. when we went back to Washington, we thought, well... We're big time. Yeah, this is small <laughs> potatoes. It's time to like hit it. We came back from the, the cafeteria tour and we were really excited about playing in other places. And so we started looking to New York. We had played in New York already because mm-hmm. we'd played at the Pyramid Club as Ambiance Zebra. That's when I did a bongo solo. And then we did another show at Danceteria when it was just us and uh, Alan oh. Vega. We played opened for Alan Vega at Dan- in Danceteria. Right, that was Betty. So we finished our cafeteria tour and realized that we wanted to do more. We Ooh. needed to play more and play in other places around. Um, but I still had my job at the 930 Club and you were still at DC Space. And where were you working at this point? I was in graduate school Uh, and I was uh, teaching French. My name is Ashley Wiggins. Back in 1985, I was a sophomore at George Washington University. I had registered for a French class and I walked into class the first day and had my first introduction to Amy Ziff, or as we refer to her, Mademoiselle Ziff. We're still friends with Ashley to this day. And when you were a French teacher, I was still working at DC Space. That's right. But I, I very quickly was fired from DC Space. Ray took me out to the sidewalk and he put his arm around me and said I have to fire you because we were really good friends and I, I said what? What do you mean you have to fire me? He said you never ring anybody up you have to go. You drink <laughs> all the profits and you eat everything out of the, the walk-in. Ray and I used to eat I, to this day I can't eat um, pecan, pie. pecan pie because of that. Oh it was such a good pecan I pie. I do though. remember my going away thing was Ray and I were <laughs> after I, oh. I agreed to leave we were sitting at the bar and 
talking about something. I don't know. We were talking about something and Chauncey had just gotten a job there. I don't know how it came up, but we were talking about somebody got somebody had gotten stabbed in DC. Because remember, DC was the murder capital of the world. Yeah, absolutely. All right. All of America. And, yeah, number one. And Chauncey looks through that little window that the that you had she was the cook and she looks through the window, she said, Well, you know, if you if you stab somebody, you have to stab in and then push up to make sure they die. You have to make sure, pull up, pull up, pull up. And Ray grabs my hand and we started laughing so hard because <laughs> it was so, I was so afraid. And and then I left, but Ray and I remained friends and it was sort of a bummer that I got fired. But Yeah, I remember you came right to my bar at the 930 Club, which was great. And luckily I could fill you up with tequila, make you feel a little bit better. Yeah. But you know, one of my favorite memories of the 930 Club was actually one of the worst things I'd ever seen in my life. At a Yellow Man show, a hugely popular Jamaican performer, the place was completely packed. And sometime during the show, all of a sudden, pop, 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 you could hear gunshots. I was in the office at the time, but there was a stampede as everybody ran out and out the back door and into the alley away from where the person had gotten shot in the hall. But only one person stayed and they walked to the guy lying on the ground. And that was Ian Mackay. And as long as I live, I will never forget that, that 225 people ran for their lives and one man went forward to help and save someone. Did that he was die? amazing. The man died. But it was just so cool to see that, you know, this is who Ian Mackay is. Ian Mackay, who now is legendary because he's Discord, you know, he was the he was the person that was in Minor charge threat. of yeah. Of all the great, he was the person that connected all these fantastic hardcore bands in D.C. He there was a reason lived, he was respected. Yeah, he also lived the truth. He he was straight edge. Everybody yes. in the hardcore scene, they didn't drink, they didn't smoke. It was very interesting. It was yeah. this whole it was this whole community. But he also wasn't because there were so many hardcore people that were also skinheads. Yeah. You know, who were like putting down women or putting down black people, and that was not Ian Mackay. Mm-hmm. Ian Mackay was this man full of love mm-hmm. who also happened to just love this music that was so violent and, and music. so intense. And music. I remember going to see Henry Rollins. Oh yes. Do you remember indeed. Henry Rollins at the nine thirty club? And he was doing something and he got a boner. That's my memory, but I'm glad that you're having the memory. I wonder if it was the cafeteria tour through the Midwest that made Lisa Vogel know about us because that was the year that we played at the Michigan Women's Music Festival for the first time. I think so, but I think it also might have been because we had we had already performed for a lot of pro-choice things True. and a lot of AIDS stuff. Right. And we had done we'd done a big pro-choice already done a big pro-choice march in Washington. There obviously was a couple of them, but we'd done that. That's the time we played with Peter Paul and Mary. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. And they were sort of having a fight. Well, she I heard about us. She heard about us one way or another, and we wound up being invited to this huge festival. We heard about 8,000 women on 500 acres of land, no men. I really couldn't wrap my brain around what that was going to be like. I couldn't either, but I heard that it was all about camping, and I was instantly distressed. Yes, you were. I mean, it was in the middle of nowhere, and Mm -hmm. we had such attitude. 
Well, what really blew my mind was at night when the stage was everything, and that's what the whole that's what the whole focus was was the music. I was really reticent, and I wasn't fully into it. Then you and I, Allison, were walking th- at about three in the morning with, with Teresa. Teresa Troll. And all of a sudden, I realized that something was missing. The fear and the weight that every woman has on their shoulders without even realizing it, just living in the world of walking through the woods at night or just having to look behind you or everything that you have as a woman was gone. Mm -hmm. You could walk around naked in the middle of the night Mm -hmm. and you knew that nothing bad was going to happen to you. And it was such a freedom and it was so revelatory that made me understand that as women in our culture, in our world, we lived with so much fear that we didn't even know about. That is oppression right there where you don't even realize that you're carrying this incredible weight on your shoulder when we played we were different from a lot of the people that had played there before yes we talked about wolf woman about a woman who didn't shave that's the cry of the wolf woman i was walking through the woods on the other side of town and i saw the wolf woman she was looking kind of down so i slid on over i said be cool don't worry about those kids from your just your stuff and don't be twice you're a little bit different and you gotta acceptance of it when we finally did get accepted by the other people it was it was a, an incredible feeling of being I enveloped think, i don't think we weren't accepted i think it's just a question of as friends because we look come on we were bitches well i learned so much on the land i learned all kinds of you know native crafts and things about what that w- women's lore i think we were starting to find out about the whole culture of music laughing with everybody oh, everybody laughed so much because the world was so fucked up and we all knew it. And for five days. Seven days. For seven days, you didn't have to be in it. Yep. It seemed so exquisite and so magical. And it wasn't until later that I learned some very, very hard lessons. I didn't realize, as, as supportive as we had been to LGBTQA, I didn't realize truly how excluded trans women felt from Michigan Women's Music Festival. I think as Betty, we've been very conscious about inclusiveness for our entire career. And it's been something that we've wanted to uh, do purposely and purposefully as artists and as uh, musicians. And it was a, a real awakening for me. I really learned a lot. We all did. We've all grown and continue to grow and learn. That's what makes a progressive. Do you remember the year of the Shigella? Oh, yeah. Everybody oh. was pooping in their pants, basically. Oh there were gosh. no pants to be pooped in. That's this really sad yeah. part. Oh, my gosh. I remember throwing up behind the stage mm-hmm. and then going and singing. Amy, you've done that so many times. If, if I had a nickel for every time you throw up and then went, went on stage no, and still sang. I'm a millionaire. But remember this was because this. I was wait, 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 we did. You got sick. I was with my strong constitution, so proud of myself that I didn't get sick. And then right after Michigan, remember, we flew to Europe. And right after the plane t- took off, all of a sudden I was all... Uh oh! Oh no! <laughs> I was sick the entire <laughs> way there. Remember? Yeah. Uh, but we went. We went to the Edinburgh 
a fringe festival. Oh. I don't remember how we got that gig. It was incredible. Magical. It was from one experience to another experience. And it was, I think, 19... I don't oh, who even knows what year it was? But it was the year that Australia was the featured co- country. Mm-hmm. Like, every year they do that with the fringe. They They make sure that one country gets it was also the year of nixon in china but we made friends at edinburgh festival from australia that are friends dear friends to this day they were all they were all in circus oz and it was julie mcginnis who we're still amazing friends with who ended up going and and being in cirque du soleil Soleil for years hello my name's julie mcginnis i'm a singer composer musician I met Betty in 1988 in the, at the Edinburgh Festival. Uh, we were at the assembly halls and a friend and I, Teresa Blake and I, saw this ad for Betty and they were doing a cabaret in Bumfuck, you know, at, way out of the way. And we went out there and it was such a fantastic show. It was so candid and so gutsy and it was really fun. And we became friends. And, of course, Elizabeth and I shagged each other, even though we were in other relationships. And we've been friends ever since. Our show was supposed to be at midnight right. and everything gets pushed. So we ended up playing at two or three in the morning. Every night. In way far out. And yeah. so the only people that ended up coming to see us were the people from Circus Oz. The Australians. And a couple of very devoted American tourists that yeah. would look up That's in true. their guidebooks and see who was from America and they would come and support I know, us. That was great. But yeah. for the people who've never been to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, it's really an amazing experience that happens there. Totally. No, I remember know. we also played in Glasgow at the, at the Third Eye Center. Yeah, which mm-hmm. was amazing. It was amazing. It's time to go back to Scotland. That's oh, what I sure say. But t- tell about the McGregors because I think that's one of my the favorite The McGregors were ever. neighbors in Edinburgh and we had a little apartment across from them and we would see them coming off of the bus at nighttime. No, getting on the bus, my friend, don't oh, you remember? Oh, that's right, getting we on the bus. We would go on the bus because that's how we had to get to our gig because yeah. it got too expensive to take the black cab. So we had to take <laughs> the bus for like half an hour to get to this gig place. The McGregors would get on it, well, like whatever, like eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night, so drunk, yeah. like I've never seen before. Beyond drunk. I've never seen people drink like that. Until we went to South Africa, I had never seen people drink like they but drink in older Scotland. Folks, older folks, Good too. Good for like. She fell off the bus and everybody's like, oh, uh, there's McGregor. There she is. You know again. what? If it's cold, and it was cold in August, you have to have a little dram. But you know what? Their skin was magnificent. All True. that moisture in the air, I've mm-hmm. never seen skin like that. Big remember? shout out to our Scottish friends. Oh, that's absolutely. what I say. But remember what we were, that's, that, that is the time that we discovered the beauty of whiskey beauty drinking, the beauty scotch of scotch before a show which and, we don't usually do oh, but yeah. that was when we it drank started. and then we ended up walking home and we would meet circus oz in the in the square yes and we would sing till four in the morning till the the sun came up mm-hmm. that's what home. makes it really fun on the road and when you have other friends that are performing either in the same place oh, or you the make same friends venue or you make friends you know what's interesting is that most people do they have a career where they go on tour and they'll do like 15 st- cities and it'll be like six months and I'll make a ton of money or there's the Betty way where you go one place you just park your FA your, your bottom there for a while and yeah. you make great yeah. friends you have amazing meals you spend every penny you make but you have memories that, that last you a lifetime so you come back with other things besides money Absolutely. and you know fame and fortune you come back with a fatter ass a fatter ass and great friends and, and great you friends. can always go back and that's the beauty you know maybe that should be our next album fat, fat ass, ass and great friends and great friends alright there, yeah, there you go there you go or fuck fame and fortune get a fat ass and great friends Well, that's a little bit longer. That's a little long. Uh, That'd be a good t-shirt. Oh, thanks. So while we're while we're in um, Edinburgh, a guy named Davy Jones saw us oh. in Edinburgh, 
who was a promoter in London. That's true. And he also promoted at the Fringe Festival, and he ended up bringing us back to London. That's but right. But that was a year later. That was after we had moved to New York. And do you remember who it was that we opened for? At the ICA. We yeah, we opened, opened for, for Living, Living Color. Color. And then we did our own show at the Brussels Rooms. And we played at the Albany Empire. Yep. And one thing that was really interesting, I remember, uh, made an impression on me that we have a song called Ladybug, but over there it's called Lady Bird. Right. And a lot of people would always comment on that after the show. Yeah. And everybody, you always got to laugh on that one line because you would say, um, small round beetle shaped like half a pea, mm-hmm. which to us is just like, okay, whatever. But to them, half a pea was like half a pence. Mm-hmm. And so they would laugh. They thought it was the most hysterical thing ever. Ladybug, ladybug, red with black spots. Ladybug, ladybug, eat plant lice to save our crops. Small round beetle shaped like half a pea. Nature's finest delicate beauty. But also, what's interesting is the Purcell Center was like the Lincoln Center. Yes. And which it was very ho, ho, ho. Very. As a matter of fact, we did we did that interview. Well, we'll just let you hear a bit of it. That was Betty singing Bad Dog. This is Michael Van Stratton on Sunday with you through to about 10 to 5. And Betty are my guests, Alison Palmer, Amy and Bitsy Ziff, who keep telling me they're twins and I still don't believe you. Believe what you want. 819-8111. That's the number to ring if you want to put any questions to my guests. Let me ask you girls. In fact, you you say it doesn't matter and uh, I mean we know because it says in the newspapers that the two of you are Jewish and one of you is is black do you think that your ethnic roots affect the way in which you perform affect what you feel in your music affect the way you write your songs I think it, yeah. it, it definitely affects us who we are as people and therefore it does affect us in how we write and how we approach the world <laughs> One of the great things about having our career where we just make friends, and you know, I was talking to Kate Clinton about this, and she says you can have any kind of a career you want, but the career that's full of artist friends, that's what it's all about, and it's true. We've been lucky enough to go places where people will take care of us, just like when you go to a festival and you get an artist friend, someone who says, I love what you do, let me show you my town, let's eat something wonderful, and we've been very, very fortunate to have artist friends. Well, when we went and played with Living Color, opening for them, which was an incredible tour just when their um, cult of personality was really hitting. Mm. We met uh, a little British boy who I just thought was so (laughs) cute and who was so wonderful. Come to find it wasn't actually a boy. Sarah Lee, who was such an amazing bass player who played with Gang of Four, happened to come and see her friends in Living Color and we became the fastest, best, best friends. So she said, um, when you moved to New York, you have to let me know so that I can introduce you to all my friends. And everyone knows that when you go to New York, when you move there or when you go there for an extended period of time, you need friends. Oh, that's so true. Remember, yeah. I was there for a month before you all with no friends because your mom was sick. And so I would try. I was trying to find friends. Is and that I didn't true? Know, yes. I didn't know how to make friends after all this time, especially with being you all with you all for so long. Mm. I would go to cafes and sort of smile. And that you couldn't get friends that way. I went to a computer place back in the days when you actually had to go mm-hmm. places with computers. And I would just be like, <laughs> there's hi. No, there's nobody lonelier than a lonely sod that moves to New York by herself. By herself. The first year is hell on earth. And then all of a sudden, you have friends. Things click. Absolutely. <laughs> when we first moved to New York, Elizabeth and I were walking down the street and I got shot. Wait, Amy. And I fell to the ground and I reached over my stomach and I felt, I saw the red and I, I clutched Elizabeth because I knew I was leaving this earth. And then I realized that I'd been shot with a paintball. Yes. So Elizabeth said, instead of any kind of sympathy, she said, 
get up it's embarrassing you've been shot with a paintball and uh i thought it was just i thought that was it i thought i'd been in, in new york for like what curtains yeah curtains yeah. that was it the east village back then was super funky remember yeah it was oh, very very funky man. i remember we came up here before we before we lived here to to play a show and mm. you and i stayed with sally berg oh, at her apartment on right. avenue uh, avenue b and it was literally stepping over junkies to get to her apartment mm. and then we went to sleep you were sleeping um in another bed on a loft bed yeah you were sleeping on the loft bed and i was talking to you i was so excited we just had a great gig and talking talking and austin's looking at me and then all of a sudden i hear (laughs) (laughs) i happen to sleep with my eyes open sometimes and her eyes were wide open that is like bird box to me that's scary (laughs) i've actually woken up staring at the sun which is very strange. So I'm a, the fact that I wear glasses is a no-brainer. Allison, you can really do damage to your I eyes like that. I didn't do it intentionally, honey. No, but I've heard about some creeping thing that goes around your eye, like a surfer eye that has like a one membrane. You have to be really careful. You have to wear sunglasses. Maybe kids. I'm part frog and I have that other inner, the inner... <laughs> <laughs> but we made a great friend before we even moved up here because That's if you right. remember someone from uh, i think it was the urban verbs said you have to meet my friend mike do you remember that mm-hmm. and before we even moved up here we went and had a meeting with mike thorne in his studio actually i met him at the 930 club and he was so handsome and he had these two big hoop earrings and i'd never seen a guy wearing really like big hoop earrings and I thought, wow, you're super cool. And I think you're right. I think it was at an Urban Verb show. He grokked us right away. He and grokked us. And we grokked him. Well, because think about what he's done. He did Nina Hagen's Nunsex Sex Monk Rock, which mm. was amazing. He did um, Soft Cell's Tainted Love. Mm-hmm. He's done so Marianne, many. Marianne Marianne Anderson, oh, my God, the yeah. shirts. He's done so many incredible strong women. Weir- with weirdos. A, with a weirdos yeah. with a definite attitude. Mm-hmm. So we knew this was going to be amazing. Yeah. And after all those years, we'd never really recorded anything. I mean, I've got these archives of all these tapes. But we'd never really you know, recorded an album. So he said he wanted to record it. Hello, I'm Mike Thorne, sometime music producer and often for Betty. My first encounter with them was when they were three-fifths of On Beyond Zebra and they played the Pyramid Club in New York in 1986. The highlight of the show was when Bitsy, as Elizabeth what then was was banging away on timbales they both fell off the stage come 1989 Betty were a three piece with machines playing the bottom line their early performances sprawled entertainingly across cabaret polemic dance and pure fresh farce we went on to record Hello Betty at my private studio the Stereo Society you might think the rest is history but we couldn't get arrested by the record biz. Self-release was the start of Betty's long, occasionally patient music career. He approached us like a producer, and he said, yes, you put on a great live show, but your music needs to be recorded because it's really valid as songs. You know, a lot of people have been telling us that, you know, the music... We had to change our music for the record. Yeah, change this, change that. And Mike was just super appreciative, and he said, let's make a recording. It'll be be top-notch. He just wanted us to be us and kind of augment our sound and he did it and he's a weirdo too oh completely yeah, yeah. which which really worked mm-hmm. so we met him in dc and then we ended up working with him when we went to new york and our baby together was called hello betty yeah. our so- very first album
Girl Band Podcast was recorded, engineered, and produced by Elizabeth in her studio in New York City's East Village, traffic included. Betty archive tapes courtesy of Allison. This is what Betty remembers, so accuracy is suspect. Music clips and other credits. Terry Hemmert, 1989. Bad Dog by Betty, live at the Park West, 1987, Chicago. Girls, Girls, Girls by Motley Crue. General Electric Cell Phone Commercial, 1989. Soundproof by Betty, 2019, upcoming acoustic album. Go ahead and split, Mr. Amoeba Man, live on The Drew Hayes Show on WMAQ Radio, 1987. L Word in French by Betty, In My Eyes by Minor Threat on Discord Records. Girl Watcher by Betty, live at Orphans in Chicago, 1986. Wolf Woman by Betty, live at the Park West in Chicago. Ladybug by Betty from the HBO series Encyclopedia. BBC Radio with Michael Van Stratton, 1989. Kiss My Sticky, Shameless Dance Mix by Betty, produced by Mike Thorne. Wolf Woman from the album Hello Betty. And I'm Michael Naiman, Betty fan and friend from Chicago. Don't forget to rate, review, and tell your friends to subscribe. For concert and other information, go to hellobetty.com. And now bugger off.